Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Lovely Becoming. Today's guest is Tamar, and she is um, a co-founder of Kulina Health, which I'll talk about in a minute. Um, but tell us about yourself. Well, how do you do? What do you love? Yeah, uh, well, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat with you. Um, I'm a registered dietitian, um, and I am the co-founder of Kulina Health. My business partner, Vanessa Rosetto, and I uh, founded this private practice, uh, um, which offers telehealth um, in the middle of a global pandemic. So we're having a lot of fun with that. Um, but actually, we are having a lot of fun. It's been really cool to be able to, first of all, just merge my private practice with her private practice and create this new collective with another woman of color who, you know, is an incredible force to be reckoned with. And, and um, you know, this space can be like a little bit isolating. So we're having a lot of fun working together and bringing on a team of dietitians and helping a ton of people. So we're having a good time. I love that. I love your energy and I'm grateful for the work that you're doing. Um, and I'm curious what inspired you to become a dietitian? So I had some pretty tough GI issues that I was managing from pretty early age. I always was just really sensitive to food um, and mostly like bloating, constipation, you know, all of the fun things that <laughs> us dietitians talk about all day, all the time. <laughs> um, and I really wanted to figure it out. And I noticed that there was, you know, a correlation um, with food. And so I kind of dove in by myself and started to restrict my diet and try all of these, you know, different protocols. And I did work with some practitioners as well within like the holistic medicine space. Um, and, you know, with them, I also did more restrictive diets and just kind of tried a lot of stuff. And, and after many years, it didn't really get better. Um, I felt like I was kind of just managing my symptoms, but not really getting at the root of them. Um, and I realized that one, I loved nutrition science and really just wanted to learn more about like the science aspect of it. Um, and two, I was just really tired of, you know, using my body as an experiment. <laughs> I had really just wanted to kind of get down to the root cause of what might be going on. And I think for some people that isn't just food. Food is definitely something that I am sensitive to, but over time, I realized that it's not just about the food all the time. Um, and so that sort of like sparked my interest in nutrition. I initially actually was planning on going into your field. I um, wanted to be a social worker. I wanted to be a therapist. I got my undergrad in psych. And then I started working with kids in Harlem um, and in, in like an after school counseling capacity. And I ended up teaching a nutrition class and I met a dietitian, um, in that space. And I didn't even know dietitians existed. <laughs> I didn't know like you could be a nutritionist. So I ended up, um, you know, picking her brain and I immediately was like, I'm doing this. I enrolled in NYU uh, master's program, got my dietetic internship and it, there's no looking back from there. 
I love that. I think it's interesting. I didn't know that therapists were a thing when I was growing up either. And so it's really interesting to see like what we're exposed to really influences what kind of career paths we take and along the way that can kind of change for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm from a small town. I'm sure some of you have heard of it called Woodstock. Um, and in that small town, you know, there's not a lot of jobs. Like my parents are artists and musicians and, um, you know, most people who live there are, you know, very wealthy, um, and like have their own private practice and like, or dentists or, um, I don't know if people actually have jobs in Woodstock. <laughs> now that I'm talking about it. <laughs> Own a restaurant. That, those are the big things. Tour, tourism is big there. Um, and so we just like weren't exposed to these types of careers, you know. Um, and that exposure was just so so eye opening for me. Wow, I love that. And kind of looping back around, I'm curious about um, something you said about it not being just about the food. What else is it about? Yeah, you know, the human body is so complicated. I think that we really underestimate the impact of other aspects of our lifestyle that influence, you know, our health and food, obviously, food is important. I'm a dietitian, I, you know, dedicated a lot of time and money into food and nutrition and learning about it. But I think a lot of people get to this point where they're just trying to control the food and really the focus needs to be on something else. And, and a lot of the times the food creates, the focus on food can create a whole nother set of problems. Um, and I think we, we need to incorporate food as a focus, obviously, but also think about it in the context of people's lives. Um, you know, I just got off a call with a physician and she is working crazy hours and um, you know, has a small child and is obviously in a very high stress job. And, you know, she's like, I want to, I want to lose weight because I'm getting married. And I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, I think that's okay. We can focus on that, but I think you probably just want to feel good at your wedding. <laughs> and maybe we can, instead of focusing on like specifically losing weight, why don't we just focusing on doing, doing things that make you feel good. Right. And that could be nutrition related, you know, it could be just drinking more water, or it could be, um, you know, getting more sleep, and like managing stress a little bit better. Um, and just really thinking about like your wellness overall, because that then could make the food stuff easier, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there are so many aspects of health that are under talked about. And I think we really um, narrow it down to just what you put in your body and what you eat instead of thinking about like mental health and thinking about financial health, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and thinking about us as whole people for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And just quality of life, you know, like it's, it's, a, we can change your diet, but at the end of the day, like, are you happy? <laughs> you know, and if you're not happy, you're not going to feel good physically or mentally. So I think, <laughs> I think that's, a, a big focus in the work that I like to do with my, with my clients too. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. Um, I really like that you said that. And I'm curious too about what makes you kind of different than other dietitians, because I think um, there are dietitians who will prescribe restrictive, restrictive diets and not ask questions about maybe disordered eating, eating disorders, how you feel in your body, et cetera. Um, so I'd love to hear about your approach a little more. Yeah. You know, 
I feel like the wellness space is just so divided right now. Like it's really divided between this, you know, group of dietitians, nutritionists who are more focused on prescriptive diets like keto, um, you know, whatever the new trend is, intermittent fasting, um, calorie counting. And then we have this like anti-diet intuitive eating group of dietitians who are like, fuck diet culture, you know, eat, eat what you want, no food rules. Um, and I feel like I'm somewhere in the middle. <laughs> I think that there is a lot of room for, um, you know, medical nutrition therapy, which is what we learn as dietitians, which is being able to support our, our patients, our clients from a nutrition perspective by integrating, you know, functional foods, um, more protocols to support physical health, right? Um, and managing disease states. And then there's also a lot of room for flexibility within that space, you know, within that space, you can, you know, if you're managing a health condition, you can still eat, um, you know, foods that you enjoy, foods that bring you pleasure, you can still um, eat socially, drink socially, right? So I think it's about really getting back to the individual um, mm -hmm. and what they want instead of what I think that they should do. <laughs> I think that's where my approach is different and our approach is, is, you know, this is how I train my dietitians and really thinking about personalized medicine because what works for one person is not going to work for the other person exactly. So it's really important to work with the client and understanding what they want. I don't need you to do anything for me. I'm here to support you in doing what you want. <laughs> um, so, you know, I have clients who are like, I'm really interested in trying keto. I'm like, well, these are, you know, these are the, this is the research. This is what the literature says. This is what I have found in my practice in terms of results and, and um, clinical experience. This is what I think is a good, or bad approach for you in terms of that, this diet. And if you want to try it, let's experiment, like, let's get our feet wet and try it. And if you feel like it's working for you, we can make it work for you. If you really enjoy it and like to do it, let me support you in doing it. If you hate it, then that's really good data for us. We found that out, you know, and, and I think that people don't really try things because they're scared. Um, and I think trying things with the support of an expert can be so helpful in just learning about what works for you and what doesn't work for you. Like I had a client, she tried this new diet and I, I told her, I was like, please do not try this diet. <laughs> and she's like, I just want to try it. I'm like, fine, just try it. And, you know, we talked about it today and she's like, I'm never doing this diet again. <laughs> it really impacted my quality of life. I lost seven pounds. I gained four. And, you know, I had to say no to seeing friends. I couldn't work out because I was so low in energy. Um, but I'm glad I tried it because now I can just check that off the list of things that I'm not going to do. <laughs> and I can get back to, you know, healthy eating and, and exercising regularly in a way that makes me feel good. Mm -hmm. um, so that's where I feel like, you know, my approach is, is really supporting people and what they want and their goals. Um, and getting a little, helping them to get a little uncomfortable, just experimenting and collecting data and learning about themselves. Yeah. 
it's this compassionate noticing where we're learning and like you said, collecting data and understanding like what feels good, what doesn't feel good. And, and I think that learning approach is really important. Yeah. Yeah. That's all we have. You know, like we set goals every session with our clients and the goals are just opportunities to learn. It's not about pass fail. It's just about try and, and see what happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so what does it look like for the expanding of your practice? I know you mentioned a little bit about hiring dietitians and I'm curious what that process is like. Yeah, so my partner is actually the dietetic internship director at NYU. Um, so she is on the pulse of all of the fresh talent <laughs> within, this, within this space. Um, so we're lucky enough that she, you know, works with our dietitians and like trains them, um, you know, over the course of a year. Um, and, you know, of course, NYU, they're affiliated with the with the with NYU, so they do a lot of training there too. But um, you know, we have these incredible dietitians who are just so um, incredibly experienced in you know clinical skills because um, NYU is a clinical program, um, so they have a ton of clinical experience and skills. So they really have the science and the and like the solid foundation, and then. Um, when we hire them, we do like really comprehensive training. Um, I am trained as a health coach as well. So we do a lot of behavioral health coach training um, and wellness training um, and cultural competency training. So um, we take our training really, really seriously um, because it's, I think people are mistreated <laughs> um, by dietitians, unfortunately. And I think there's just um, a lot of work that needs to be done in, um, you know, bedside manner within the healthcare space, just in general. And so we take that very, very seriously. Um, and so we have these, you know, incredible dietitians that we've hand selected and like taken many, many months to, to train and onboard and, and work with our clients, um, so our process is pretty comprehensive, um, but it's really, it's really fun. It's really exciting because we like to, we, we really like to celebrate the individuality of our practitioners. Um, Vanessa and I have very different approaches. She's like tough love, um, you know, very matter of fact, more prescriptive and I'm more gentle and, you know, I'll hold your hand and both of us like celebrate that about ourselves, like, and try to work with clients who also need that, right? Um, and recognize that some clients need more of a tough love prescriptive approach, and some need more of a gentle, um, you know, behavioral focused approach. So I think it's important to hire people that can provide lots of different types of counseling. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of what we're aiming for with our team. Yeah, I think that it's important to have lots of different um, personalities and people on your team to make sure that it's almost like, um, like, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Enneagram, but I really like how there's different aspects of different people and, um, and, and they all have their own purposes and come together well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I've been saying this a lot this week, I think there's, you got to find your people, you know, there's some someone for everyone. Um, and it doesn't make one practitioner better or worse. It just means that it's not the right fit. And so I think once you find the right fit, 
that's where the real work can be done is really feeling like supported and understood. And there's this mutual relationship between practitioner and patient or practitioner and client where both parties are, you know, fulfilled because they're in their, they're in flow. They're working with their people. Definitely. And what is your approach to working with people with disordered eating? I know a lot of the listeners either have eating disorders or have a history of one. So I'd love to hear what you kind of take on for that approach. Yeah. So I don't typically work with people who are in active eating disorders, but I do work with people who are in recovery um, and people who struggle with disordered eating. Um, my approach is really grounded in the coaching perspective. I, I just love coaching. I really fell in love with it a couple of years ago when I first got my um, dietitian credential, because I think it's so it's focused on behavior, um, but it's also really focused on positive psychology, which sounds like very hippy dippy. Did you learn <laughs> about positive psychology in your studies yet? A little bit, not quite yet in grad school. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just, it's so cool. It's really like a strength, it's, it's a strength-based um, approach where we are looking at our clients um, as, you know, having everything that they need and really identifying their strengths and using their strengths to outgrow their problems, so to speak, Right. So instead of saying, okay, you know, you have, you're a stress eater, right? We say, okay, well, what are you, what are you good at, right? Like, what do you feel like makes you, you and what makes you special? Um, you know, maybe you're really good at um, helping others or planning or preparation. Um, how can we identify those strengths and use those strengths to help you overcome, you know, this challenge that you're having with stress eating, right? So I think it, it's really empowering. I think people who struggle with disordered eating also struggle with confidence um, and you know, self-doubt, um, fear. And so I think it can be really helpful to focus on people's strengths and identifying those strengths and calling them out for them. We don't have people who are truly actually telling us you know, you're doing, you know, maybe we have cheerleaders, but we don't have people saying, you know, I noticed that like, you're a really great listener. <laughs> and <laughs> I think if you, you know, really use that strength of listening in this capacity, we could help to overcome this challenge that you're having. So I really like to work with my clients in identifying their strengths and using those strengths in their day-to-day life to help them feel empowered, right? So they don't have to lean on food in order for them to cope with stress. Um, because they know they're really good at this and they can do more of that thing. Um, I, th I think another approach that I just love doing is really getting back to this feelings and needs paradigm. I don't know if you've worked with that yet, um, mm -hmm. but it's my absolute favorite because it's just, it's so effective <laughs> and it works within, you know, this space of disordered eating and really you know, having people identify how they're feeling, you know, we ask people all the time, well, how, how are you, you know, and we kind of respond like, oh, I'm fine. But really, like, how are you feeling? If you're having a moment of, you know, emotional eating, what is that emotion? Like, let's be clear about what that emotion is, identify it, and then connect that emotion back to your needs. What need is not being met here, you know? So for example, if we are emotionally eating out of boredom um 
how can we meet that need for boredom that doesn't involve food? Because um, we already know you can get food, you can get joy from food, but what are some other things you can get joy from, you know? Um, and so really exploring different ways to meet that need. It doesn't mean that you can't eat for pleasure or joy, but diversifying your your toolbox and your strategies and kind of utilizing um, your resources a little bit better. So you're not just exclusively relying on food for joy because once you're done eating, the joy is gone. <laughs> you know? um, so how can we make life more exciting, more joyful? Um, so that's my approach. Those are kind of my two favorite things to work with clients on in terms of disordered eating. Yeah, that's good. I think it's definitely important to have like a big toolbox of like ways you can cope. And like you said, like it's okay, food and eating are like one of those tools um, sometimes, but it's important to have like choices and um, autonomy of being able to choose what you want to do with, with those emotions. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think also food can be one of those tools, but it's also not always the most effective tool. Sometimes it is. But sometimes it isn't, you know, um, some, and sometimes it makes you feel worse. <laughs> um, so being able to identify that and, and use more effective tools in the moment, you know, depending on what your needs are, is really important. And sometimes we need to practice using our voices and asking for what we need and we need to practice um, dealing with that emotion head on, which is important too, I think. Yeah, yeah. And having the space to do that. And I think that's where, you know, it's so helpful to have support um, from a therapist, um, from a dietitian, from, you know, anyone, because um, doing it on your own can be really hard. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, really, really hard. <laughs> I'm so grateful for clinicians and um, to be almost one in, in just the support that we have, because we are such interdependent people, um, which is a really beautiful thing. Yeah, yeah, I know. I think we all hopefully appreciate one another so much more after the year that we've had of isolation, you know? Yes, yes. Thinking about cultural foods, um, a lot of times people will say like substitute this into your cultural food. Um, but I think there's been a lot of colonization and um, about the foods that we eat and about different cultures. So I'm curious how you promote the celebration of different cultural foods um, without kind of uh, encouraging people to do away with them, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I don't think we should do away with any cultural food because <laughs> they're so important to our traditions. Um, and also just like we were talking about food for joy and it's so important for us to experience food for joy and pleasure and community. Um, I think it's important to have education around um, how these foods impact our body. But I think there's a huge disconnect in thinking about, okay, cultural foods are inherently unhealthy, which is just not true, right? Um, it's important to speak of, about these cultural foods in context, right? Um, and, and speak with them, speak about them as they relate to other foods on the plate as well. And also talk about, you know, we talk about kale and spinach being so healthy, but collard greens are also really healthy, <laughs> you know, um, another leafy green that has a ton of vitamins and minerals and fiber. And so including more cultural foods, I think, as part of the dialogue when we talk about so-called healthy foods is really important too. So that's something that I discuss um, a lot with, you know, media outlets and, and my clients and just respecting, <laughs> respecting that like those 
and respecting that these are important to people and that we don't need to eliminate them in order for them to reach, reach their goals. Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah. I think it's really important to like celebrate different cultures through food and the way that it brings us together um, and, and demonizing them and putting morality into food can be a really tricky line, especially for those with disordered eating and eating disorders and black and white thinking as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There, there should, you should never feel guilty about eating a food that you, you know, uh, feel so connected to. Um, so I think it's really important to expand the definition of healthy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, 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 and really think about what, what that means. Yeah. There's a lot of nuance to these conversations that I think a lot of people are missing. I was reading a post yesterday that was really good. And it talked about how, like, sometimes when we're talking about even like intuitive eating and inclusive eating kind of, um, we miss sometimes like allergies or we miss medically necessary diets. We miss a lot of the nuance of like adding instead of subtracting and things like that, which is important. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think that's something that I think about all the time, um, especially because so many people are managing medical conditions. I mean, it's unfortunate, but it's, it's a re reality. And I think, incorporating that dialogue into the space of intuitive eating um, is is missed <laughs> in a major way. Not a lot of people are talking about it and I think it's really important. Yeah, and thinking about all the principles, you know, I think um, sometimes we miss gentle nutrition, honoring your health, things like that. Um, yeah. And those are just as important as, you know, rejecting diet mentality or um, honoring your hunger and fullness as well. I, I mean, I couldn't have said, said it better, <laughs> right? <laughs> I think I think also something that's important to remember is that not everyone is able to, you know, be in touch with those hunger and satiety cues because they're managing a medical condition that impacts that ability, right? If your hormones are dysregulated, it can be really hard to um, be able to understand what is hunger, what is fullness, right? There are very, very powerful hormones like cortisol, like insulin, that impact our ability to really get in touch with what we need from a food perspective. You know, if we're insulin resistant, then uh, we constantly are craving carbohydrates and sugar. Um, is that, you know, our body telling us that that's what we need? No, <laughs> right? Um, that is our body telling us that, you know, we we need to manage this insulin resistance um, in order for us to get in touch with what we need um, from a nutrition perspective. Um, and without doing that, it can be really hard to eat intuitively. So mm -hmm. I think that dialogue really needs to happen. I'm glad we're talking about it now because um, it's, it's really missed within the space, I think, particularly within the space of, uh, you know, disordered eating and eating disorders. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting that you mentioned that too. And I think thinking about access to the food of like, sometimes people can't access what they're craving, or sometimes people can't access, um, you know, the nourishment that they need, etc. And so thinking about um, socioeconomic status and different variables that play into these um, nutrition uh, perspective. And thinking about, okay, what, what, are, what have you been exposed to for most of your life? And um, have you tried these other things? Maybe you would want to eat, eat them if you had access to them, if you, if you, you know, could experiment with them more and incorporate them um, as part of your life. But not everyone has access 
to that, which makes it really difficult to know intuitively what you should be eating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so what are your favorite foods? <laughs> oh, good question. Um, I'm really into salmon. I just love it. It's fatty and I love a good crispy skin. Um, I like it raw. Give me some sashimi. <laughs> I'll take it cooked. I'll take it in a burger. <laughs> uh, I'll do it. I'll really do it anyway. Um, so I love salmon. I'm not really a sweets person. I actually really like mayonnaise, <laughs> which I know people are like either pro mayo or anti mayo. And I'm like pro mayo all the way. I'll take a good aioli on top of anything. <laughs> um, so I wouldn't say mayo is my favorite food. I think salmon is probably my favorite food. And the question I like to ask all my guests is, um, how are you becoming? How am I becoming? Um, You know, I think I'm becoming a mom um, to a daughter. And that is an incredibly challenging but rewarding experience. Um, I think I'm becoming more flexible. Um, I'm becoming more efficient. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm also, you know, learning so much, um, in, with my business and, you know, it really teaches you a, a lot about yourself. And I think I'm, I'm becoming a lot more adaptable and, learning uh more about myself um and what you know things I like about myself maybe things that I want to change so um I'm definitely in a major transitional period in my life I think a lot of us are right now um and so I'm just riding the wave (laughs) (laughs) I'm becoming a little less uptight (laughs) yes I can relate (laughs) yes Yes. Sometimes you just got to recognize there's a lot you can't control and roll with the punches. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time and for coming on. I really appreciate you. Likewise. Thank you for having me. Um, It's been really fun to connect. I feel like you have so many shared values and approaches. So I'm excited to chat with another future practitioner about um, food in this context. Yes.